This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. The book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 through 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master has, uh, will find doing Uh, will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity once again to gather, to worship you, to sit under your word. I pray that you would teach us, that you would guide us into truth. I pray that you would encourage us by your spirit. I pray that you would reveal up to us the ways that we need to bring our lives more into line with what you have given us in your word. God, I pray that you would continue to provide for us in every way as you so well do every day of our lives, that you give us everything that we need. Uh, Most importantly, you've given us Christ. You've given us forgiveness. You have given us new life in you. And we thank you for that, and I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted as we go about life. But we also do pray that you would meet those needs of our temporal things, the things that... uh, cause us grief and strife on this earth, whether that's illness or 
uh, disagreements with our brothers and sisters or whether it's family issues, we pray that you would provide healing, provide restoration, provide comfort in every situation where we are uh, discomforted. And Lord, in the midst of those things, in the midst of the difficulties, I pray that you'd help us to see how you are working that out for your glory and for our good, because we know that you shape us and you mold us through the most difficult situations in life. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are meeting as we gather your church throughout the world today to worship you. We pray for those uh, in, in Ukraine and in Russia and, and in that part of the world who are struggling. We pray for those uh, in China and in Africa and there are Christians gathering to worship the same God all around the world. It looks a lot different in different places. Some people are free to worship you openly. Some have to meet quietly in secret. But God, we know that there are many who are worshiping you and what a privilege it is to be able to join in with the saints and glorifying our God. So we pray that this morning that you would be glorified above all, that your name would be lifted up and that you would shape us and mold us into the people that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So, have any of you had or have at some point had a a dog, a faithful dog, the kind of dog that when you leave and you come back, whether it's for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, that dog is waiting for you at the door, tail wagging, can't believe that you would have dared to have left him. He's ready for you, and somehow, I don't know if the dog just sits at the door for hours waiting or if if they have a a sixth sense where they just know you're down the road and they're coming and they're ready they're waiting to welcome you home that faithful dog if you don't have one you probably know someone who does or you've seen it you know it you understand it I'm going to be honest I kind of hate that I have to use a dog for this opening illustration I'm not a huge dog person they're fine but dogs are faithful in a way that we often fail to be. This scripture is calling us to faithfully await the return of our master with anticipation, with expectation, and with excitement. And we so often drift. We forget what we're waiting for. We forget who we're waiting for. Yet this is exactly what Jesus is calling us to in this passage. So this point that we're at in Luke, Jesus is, has gathered these crowds He's been teaching and preaching, and we've been told that he has set his face to Jerusalem. He started moving toward Jerusalem, which means he's walking toward his death. He understands exactly what his mission is and where he's going. So his teaching is getting sharper, and and there's there's more intense uh, clarity on this division between there are some who are in and some who are out. There are some who are part of the people of God and some who are not. Just a few weeks ago, we heard Jesus say these words, whoever is not with me is against me. He's drawing clear lines of division. And in our passage this morning, he's doing as he so often does, he's using parables. He uses these to paint pictures, this vivid picture that is going to It's going to sit and dwell in the mind of his disciples. It sticks in our minds and it brings these things more easily to remembrance later. And he's painting this picture of the fact that he will return. And when he does, he is coming with blessing for those faithful servants and he is coming with punishment for the unfaithful servants. 
Now, if you've noticed, there's a theme in there in these parables. He's talking about servants, this theme of the servants in relation to their master. And because he's talking about servants, we know that he's talking about those who are servants of God, or at least those who profess to be servants of God, those who claim that they serve God. That means that he's talking to the church. He is talking to us this morning. And that means in these parables that within the church, there are those who are found as faithful servants. When he comes back and he judges the world, there are those people within the church who he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But on the other side of it, it means that there are those within the church who have an appearance of godliness but deny its power. There are those in the church who honor Jesus with their lips, but their hearts are far from him. And to those people on that day of judgment, he is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And then those servants will be cast out with the unfaithful where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is drawing sharp lines of distinction. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, which are we? On that day of judgment, when the master returns, will you be counted among the faithful or the unfaithful? Because our master is coming back. And my prayer is, our hope is that we are counted among the faithful. What does that look like? And that's what Jesus spells out for us. What does it mean? If you're questioning, am I one of the faithful servants? How am I going to know? Jesus paints that picture for us in this passage. The first thing that we need to realize, and we've already said it multiple times, is Jesus is coming back. Bodily, physically, Jesus is coming back to this earth to set everything right that is wrong. Titus chapter 2, Paul tells us that that is the blessed hope of the believer. That should excite us. That should give us anticipation that we actively look forward to and await Jesus' return. The question is, do we believe that? We say we believe it. We say all the time, we can't wait for Jesus to come back. But then if you look closely at our lives, we often live like we don't truly believe it. We forget it over and over again. We don't obey the way that we should. But yet Jesus is here talking to his disciples. He knows what he's there to do. He knows that he's on his way to the cross. He knows that he is going to be put to death, that he's going to lay in the grave for three days. He knows that he is going to rise and conquer death. He knows that he's going to ascend into heaven, and he knows that one day he is going to return to this earth to retrieve his church and to establish his kingdom on earth. Yet, as he's walking with his disciples, he doesn't just spell out all those details for them. He doesn't give them a timeline. He gives them parables. He gives them these word pictures so that they'll remember these truths. And he is, in doing so, he's preparing them for what is to come between his ministry on earth and all these years later when he will return. He's preparing them and he's preparing us for the waiting that's in between. And there is a lot of waiting. Look at verse 35 with me. Jesus says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. 
we read a lot about wedding feasts in the New Testament. Weddings in that day were a big deal. They would be these parties that would go on and on into the night celebrating this wedding. Now, usually when we read about them, we're hearing it from the perspective of of the celebration. We're at the wedding feast. But here, we look at those who are left behind, those who are waiting for the master who is at the wedding feast. They're waiting for him to come back. They're not where all the excitement is. And Jesus says that those who are behind, those servants who are waiting, they need to stay dressed for action. That literally means that they are to gird up their loins. We've heard that phrase probably said over and over again. But the picture of it is is that they would wear these long flowing robes that it's really hard to do anything quickly in. So to gird up your loins, to be able to run, to be able to move around freely, meant you'd pull up those robes, tuck them into your belt, and now your legs are free. You're able to run. You're able to do the things that need to be done. You're prepared. And he says, keep your lamps burning. They need to see what they're doing. Remember, this is late at night. They need to be able to see in front of them so they're not tripping over each other. It also gives us this idea that that the lights are on. When the master comes home, they're waiting for him. And the master comes home to this, this warm, inviting place. As he walks up to the door, his servants open the door, excitedly welcoming him home. He's saying that we need to be ready for when he comes. My family tends to be the exact opposite of being ready. I like to be prompt, man. But I can tell my kids, we got to go. We got to be ready to go. I want you to get your shoes on. They got to be tied. You got to go to the bathroom, do whatever it is. And I'll give them plenty of warning so that they'll be ready. And I did tell them that I was going to pick on them so they know. And inevitably, when I say it's time to go, they'll say, I'm not ready. I don't have my shoes on. And they panic, and everybody's running around, so we end up late to wherever it is. We tend to not be ready, even though we've been told. We've been told to be ready because Jesus is coming. But he says that those servants who are ready, he says, blessed are those servants who the master finds awake. Even if they're found at the second or the third watch in the night, that means if it goes late into the night, it's two, three, four in the morning, the servants are getting sleepy. It'd be tempting to just give up and say, we'll, we'll catch him in the morning. I'm too tired. Blessed are those servants who the master finds awake, who stay awake and stay ready, even though it seems like he's taking longer than we want him to. Blessed are those servants. And then he goes on to spell out, spell out what that blessing looks like. If you look at verse 37, the second half of it, he says, Truly I say to you, he... The master will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at table and he will come and serve them. The blessing isn't just, man, thank you, you did a good job. The blessing is that the master actually switches roles and he has them sit down and relax. You did what I asked, you stayed awake and now I'm going to serve you. To the people that Jesus was talking to at this time, that would have been unthinkable for a master to serve his servants in that way. And it should be amazing to us when we understand that the master that Jesus is talking about is him. Jesus, God in the flesh, God actually serves his people. He serves sinners. 
That should blow our minds that God himself would serve his servants. And just a little while later, a little bit further into the book, Jesus actually illustrates this. So we're in chapter 12 right now. In chapter 22, we get the the upper room where it's just before Jesus goes to, to the cross. And he serves his disciples. He serves them the bread and the wine. Not only that, he washes their feet. In an unthinkable act of humility, their master serves them. And then just a few verses later, they leave that room, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus goes off to pray and he asks them to stay awake and to watch with him as he prays. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Jesus had already served his disciples, knowing full well that they were going to go fall asleep in the garden while he prayed. Then he comes back, and he doesn't reject his disciples. He doesn't throw them out. Now, I'm sure as he corrects them, those disciples remembered this this parable that Jesus had told. Remember, he told us that the faithful servants were supposed to stay awake. We fell asleep. Jesus doesn't reject his disciples. He corrects them, and he expects them to grow. And these disciples who fell asleep while Jesus prayed in the garden, after they see more fully who Jesus is, after they see him die on the cross, they see him come back to life, and they see him ascend into heaven, those disciples changed drastically to be the kind of people who were always ready to face persecution, to preach the gospel, to be bold, They didn't start off that way. They grew into that because of the faithfulness of their Savior, because Jesus was willing to illustrate that kind of faithfulness, that kind of service, that kind of readiness. That shows us that we are accepted not because we're always ready, because we're not. It's because of the faithfulness of Christ. And he expected his disciples to grow. He expected them to mature in the faith. And we should do that same thing. That should be our goal and our desire is to be more and more ready. Because church, Jesus is coming back. It's happening. The question is, are you ready? Are you making yourself ready? And that doesn't mean... I asked Jesus into my heart once, 10, 20, 30 years ago, and now I'm just going about life however I want, and I'll be ready. It means that we're actively making ourselves ready. It means that we are training our affections every day for the Lord. Because if we don't love the one we're waiting for, if we're not excited, if we're not anticipating his return, we won't stay awake. If we don't really believe he's coming back, we won't stay ready. We'll fall asleep. We'll get distracted. We'll let that light flicker out and we won't be ready when he returns. There's a temptation to want to kind of try and time our obedience, try try and time our readiness. We'll say, well, when I see enough things happening in the world, then I know that Jesus is coming back, so then I'll get ready. Or we'll say, when I get that cancer diagnosis, and I know that death is coming. That's when it's time to put my, put my house in order, put my life in order. Church, that's too late. We have to be ready every moment of our lives. 
If you go on to verse 39, Jesus gives another kind of a mini parable where he changes the perspective and he says, know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He's saying, you don't know when I'm coming back. So always be ready. Don't try and time it. Don't wait. Be ready. Be making yourself ready because a faithful servant is ready for his master's return. Faithful servants also know that they serve the master and not themselves. In verse 41, Peter, who's kind of becomes the spokesman for the disciples, he's the the outspoken one. He says, Lord, are you, are you saying this for us, for the disciples, or are you saying this for everybody? Because remember, at this point, he had these large crowds around. And if you go back over the last few weeks where we've spoken, sometimes Jesus is addressing just his disciples, and the scripture tells us that. And sometimes it says that he addresses the crowds. So Peter wants to know, is this, is this one that's just for us, for the inner circle, or is this one that's for everybody? And Jesus, as he often does, doesn't give a direct answer we look at that and think man jesus is rude but he's not being rude he's simply redirecting their focus to what's important he's saying peter you be ready you be a faithful servant he's saying to all those in earshot you be a faithful servant you be what i'm calling you to do and he answers with this next parable look at verse 42 the lord said who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and the female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and put him with the unfaithful. Faithful servants understand that they are to serve the master, not themselves. They are stewards of the master's goods, not the owners of them to build their own kingdoms. It's when we get this confused that we start to act like we're the master. We've got all this stuff that God's given us so that we can live our best life now, so that we can build our own kingdoms and do what's good for us. We forget that we are to steward what God has given us for his glory, not our own. And the consequences for being faithful versus being unfaithful are extreme. There is extreme blessing for faithfulness. It says that the servant who does what the master wants, who uses the master's gifts according to the master's will, will be blessed. He will be given more responsibility. He will be given more blessings. That means for us eternity in heaven with Christ separated from sin, separated from all doubt and fear. There are blessings beyond what we can imagine for the faithful servant. But for the unfaithful, he says that they will be cut to pieces. He uses vivid imagery to show the destruction of that unfaithful servant. 
the one who took what the master gave and started to act like it was his, eat the master's food, drink the master's drink. And he beat the master's servants, abused them as if they were his, as if he was trying to build his own kingdom. Those servants will be cut to pieces and put with the unfaithful. And unfaithful there doesn't just mean he didn't do what he was supposed to. It means without faith. It means one who is not a believer. We're talking eternal life versus eternal death. Faithful versus unfaithful. Remember, Jesus is talking about servants here. He's talking about those who are part of the household of God. He's talking about the church. There are those in the church who claim to serve God, yet their actions betray that they're not truly living for the master, they're living for themselves. The faithful servants in the church will remember that they serve the master. They are building his kingdom, not their own. For hundreds of years now, people have told the story of Robin Hood. And with Robin Hood, you've got this, this king, uh, King Richard, who goes off to fight in the Crusades and uh, in the legends, he's this great king who does, does really well, strong king, and he leaves his prince John in his place. Now, my favorite version of Robin Hood, there are so many different movies and stories and books. My favorite version is the Disney one, where you've got everybody's animals, and I've got this vivid picture from my childhood of Prince John, who is this scrawny lion who's wearing his brother's big robe, and he's got this big crown that's too big for him, and it keeps falling down on his head, and he keeps demanding that everybody serve him and do what he wants. He's trying to build his own kingdom, and he's walking around sucking his thumb when he doesn't get what he wants. He's trying to build his own kingdom, not recognizing he's not the king. He's supposed to steward the king's gifts while he's away, and we so often do that same thing. Scripture tells us that every believer, every person in the church is giving gifts, and we are to use those gifts, not for ourselves, not to build up our own kingdom, but for the glory of God and for the good of his church, because everything belongs to God, and everything is to be used for his glory, according to his word. Those gifts that we've been given are not for us to use just however we see fit. They're for us to use how God has told us in his word. So that faithful servant that we're talking about, not only is he, he ready, he's waiting. It's not just a sitting on your hands waiting for Jesus to come back. It's faithfully, actively obeying God's word. It's actually using those gifts that we've been given in the way that he's told us to use them. So if you've been given wealth, and if so, do you use that just to build up your own kingdom, to make yourself comfortable, or are you generous? Do you give? to further the kingdom of God? Have you been given time? Do you have time in the day where you could be serving, where you could be loving others? Or do you use it just for yourself, to be comfortable, to lay around the house, to do what you want? I'm not saying that all leisure is bad, but how do we really use those gifts that we've been given? Do you have gifts of service? Do you have the ability to serve in the church? I'm telling you, there are so many places where you can serve in this church, and many do, and I thank God for that. But there are places to serve in the nursery, 
greeting people as they come in, serving meals on Thursdays. There are abundant places to serve. Do you have those gifts where you could be doing those things, but you don't do them simply because you don't want to? It's uncomfortable. Or because you'd rather have somebody serve you. We need to examine our hearts on that. Are we using the gifts that God has given us for his glory or for ourselves? And the message that we hear from the world all the time is you just do whatever makes you happy. But that is the antithesis of what scripture teaches. We're taught that we are to deny ourselves for the sake of God's glory and the good of his kingdom. This is not a bad thing. There's a reward for this. Remember, the blessing is beyond what we can imagine. We get so short-sighted and we want to build our own kingdoms with the gifts that God's given us because all we can see so often is what's in front of us. But the reward that we get for faithful service is so worth it. Just last week, Pastor Aaron read where Jesus said in verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not to give you a pat on the back, not to give you an attaboy, but because we're united with Christ, we inherit the kingdom of God with Christ that is beyond any kingdom that we could build for ourselves, any glory that we could amass for ourselves. So we need to not be so short-sighted, but we need to understand, we need to know that we serve the master, we're stewards of the gifts that he's given us. Faithful servants stay ready. Faithful servants know that they serve the master. And finally, they understand their responsibility. Look at verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. As Jesus concludes this section of his teaching, no longer does he compare unfaithful servants with faithful servants, but he looks more closely at two unfaithful servants. One who had more knowledge, one who understood more what was required of him and one who didn't understand as much. Both of them did what was wrong. Both of them acted uh, against the master's will, and both were punished. But the one who knew more was punished more harshly. Both have to be punished because God is perfect in his holiness. God cannot, will not, does not simply overlook or ignore sin. Every sin from the smallest sin to the greatest, will be punished. It will be paid for. Now, it will either be laid on Christ, and he will take that punishment, or it will be laid on ourselves on that last day, at the judgment. But every sin will be paid for. You go back in the Old Testament, there are sacrifices, even for the unintentional sins. Just because you didn't mean to do it, doesn't mean that you get off from still having to offer that sacrifice. If you move forward into Romans chapter 1, Paul tells us that there's no excuse for ignorance. Ignorance is not an excuse. You can't say, I didn't know, because God has clearly revealed himself so much 
in creation that it leaves every man without excuse. Every sin deserves and will receive punishment. Now there's a tendency to say in the church, well, because every sin deserves punishment, sin's all the same, right? Every, every sin is sin. But they're not all the same. They're all the same in that every sin separates us from God because he is perfectly holy. But scripture teaches, Jesus teaches clearly in this passage that there are some sins that deserve a harsher punishment. And what he teaches here is specifically those sins that we commit when we know better. When we have knowledge of God's will, when we know what his righteous requirement is and we still choose to sin, those sins deserve a harsher punishment. The more we know, the more we're responsible for. And as I studied this this week, it shook me up. Being a pastor, you who are elders in the church, you who are Sunday school teachers, you who have studied the word and know it, you're held to a higher standard. And it doesn't just stop with the pastors and the teachers. It's all of you who are sitting in these pews, who sit under the preaching of the word. You, church, who know the word, who hear the word, you are called to obey the word. You are held to a higher standard than that person on the outside who doesn't have access to the scriptures. And I say this not to scare us, but to wake us up. Obeying Christ, being a faithful servant, is a big deal. It's important. The more we know, the more we are responsible for. And now that we know, we have no excuse to go on living however we want. We have no excuse to continue loving the things the world loves. We have no excuse to go on acting like we don't know what God says clearly in his word. Because we know. We're held accountable to that. We're responsible for the knowledge that we have been given. So you who know the word, you who teach the word, do you live in obedience to it? Or do you ignore it and knowingly do what displeases the master? I hope you feel the weight here. I feel it. If we examine our lives, this is heavy. Because I've just spent the last 20, 25 minutes telling you that Jesus is coming back and he is coming back for faithful servants. And if we are honest, we are not faithful servants. I am not the kind of faithful servant that this scripture tells us that we should be. All of us, as we wait for Jesus' return, we fall asleep. We let our affections drift. We begin to love the things of the world. We let that light flicker out. As it gets later and we wait longer and longer, we start to wonder if he's really coming back. We don't stay awake and stay ready the way that we should. Every one of us, we look at those gifts we've been given and we misuse them. We try to build our own kingdoms. We want to build ourselves up. Every one of us, we forget the responsibility that we have because we can all look at things that we know are required of us in Scripture. And yet we have done the opposite, knowing full well that it was sin. We are not faithful servants, but Jesus is the faithful servant. That's the gospel. 
That's good news for us. How is that good news for us? It's because all of those things that we fail so miserably at doing, Jesus has done perfectly for us in our place. Jesus stayed ready. Jesus stayed awake throughout his entire ministry when it was time for him to go into the wilderness and be tempted by the devil to an extent that we can't possibly imagine. He went. He was ready. And he did it. When it came time for him to go to the cross and bear all of our sin and all of our suffering on himself, he was ready. He did not hesitate. He did that for us. Jesus understood that he was on earth to do the Father's will. When he went to that garden, when he was praying in Gethsemane and his disciples had fallen asleep, he was praying, not my will, but yours be done. In John 5, Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus sought the will of the Father, even though it cost him his life. Even though he knew his disciples and his servants were weak and failing. And Jesus had all knowledge of his responsibility. Jesus, the Son of God, knew exactly who he was. He knew who the Father is. He knew why he was on earth. And more than that, he knew who we are. He knew how miserably we fail. Scripture says that Jesus knew what was in the heart of man. And yet he was faithful to what he was called to do. He knew his responsibility. He knew that his responsibility was to serve sinful humanity, and he did it. Sinlessly, perfectly. Jesus is the faithful servant that he is talking about in this passage. He is the only one who can be that perfectly faithful servant, and that is good news for us. Philip Ryken says that Christianity is not a religion for faithful servants, but a gospel for unfaithful servants. I want to say that again. Christianity is not a religion for faithful servants. It means it is not something that says if you just perfectly obey, if you are faithful this way, that you will be saved. But it's a gospel that says because you haven't, because you can't, you can be saved. It is a gospel for unfaithful servants. Jesus has been drawing these sharp lines. Those who are in and those who are out of the kingdom. And that in or out is not dependent on your perfect obedience. Because if it was, we're all out. It's whether or not your faith is in Christ. That is the determining factor. We are either in Christ or we are not. That is the question. And it's because Jesus was faithful perfectly that now we can begin to live as faithful servants. Because he did it perfectly, we can do it imperfectly, so to speak. We grow, just like the disciples did as they got to know Jesus better. They grew in their faithfulness. They matured in their faithfulness. We can't earn our salvation by our faithfulness, but we do it out of gratitude for that salvation that has already been purchased for us. Day by day, the more that we see our Savior, 
the more that we see his faithfulness, we can grow and we can be more obedient and more faithful. Praise God for that. So I urge you, if you are in Christ, that is the main question. Is your faith in Christ? If you can say, yes, I am, then stoke your affections for Jesus every day. Look to the word, read the word, see what he has done for you, and let that keep you awake. Because the more that we love Jesus, the more ready we're going to be for his return. We will anticipate it. Strive to remember that those gifts that you've been given are not for you, but they're gifts that you are to use for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. Because Jesus used the gifts that he had been given on earth to serve us. And strive to learn what the scripture teaches. Yes, it's a heavy weight, the more that we know, but it is worth it. Because the blessings, the rewards from being in Christ are so wonderful, beyond what we can imagine. No, we can't obey perfectly. But Jesus obeyed the law perfectly for us, so now we can strive. We can aim to obey the law of God, the will of God, out of gratitude for what he has already done for us. Jesus is coming back, church. And he tells us over and over in Scripture that we need to be ready that means we need to be sure that we are in Christ, understanding what he has done for us so that we can live in anticipation of that day. So though we can't be faithful servants on our own, we can be faithful servants in Christ. And that's my prayer for every one of us, that on that glorious day when Jesus comes back, when he finally sets everything right, when sin is wiped away, my prayer is that every one of us would be found as faithful servants in Christ. Let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for your word and how you've shown us how desperately we need the work of your son, Jesus, because we see how far short we fall of your perfect standard every day. Yet Jesus obeyed perfectly. Jesus was the faithful servant. Lord, help us to see the glory of the Son more clearly every day. Help us to know with certainty, with assurance, that he is coming back for his bride. Those that he is making faithful, that he is shaping, that you are shaping by your Spirit day by day to be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to look forward to that day in anticipation and help us to strive not in our own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit to obey, to be found as faithful servants in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.